Welcome to the Higher Potential Living Podcast, where we discuss improving quality of life by exploring mind, body, and spirit through a mindful lens. Here's your host, Jason Marichello. Hello, and thanks for joining once again. On this episode, I'm joined by Alex Skeet. Alex is a professional chef who has spent his career not only studying classical cuisine, but has also studied around the world learning how food can in fact be medicine for our mind and our body. In addition to his passion for fermented foods and baking, Alex also works at holistic retreats, educating on how food can be used as not only medicine, but the fuel to help our body perform as optimally as possible. I met Alex on a retreat in Costa Rica where I absolutely fell in love, not only with his personality, but for his very passion about food itself. It made everything taste that much better. So in this podcast episode, we talk about his journey of learning everything that he has about food, as well as some great tips for those that are intimidated to get into the kitchen and start exploring with food and having fun with it, not making it just be another chore that we have to get through. So I hope you get something out of this episode, and thanks for listening. Hello and welcome everyone. Thanks for joining us here today. My guest, Alex Skeet. I, I just got to say I'm really excited for this podcast episode. There's only certain people that you run into in the most random scenarios. I met Alex in Costa Rica when I was running a retreat and I just felt a kinship with this man and we had some great long conversations. So uh, I don't know why it didn't dawn on me sooner, but I'm so excited to now have you on this podcast and have an opportunity for us to catch up because it's been a while as well. So thanks for joining, Alex. Yeah, thank you for having me so much, Jason. I was looking forward to having a chat, catch up and talk a little bit about this and that and just have a good time. Some laughs would be good too, you know? Yeah, well, let's hope. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I met you because you were actually catering, uh, well, you were the chef at one of the retreats that we ran in Costa Rica. We brought a group down to Costa Rica and you were there. And the food was amazing. And one of the things that was really that went beyond what we were expecting is the knowledge that you brought with that food. So every meal you would come in front of the table, you would explain to everyone what we were eating so much of it, like when you, you had made sauerkraut yourself, like all this stuff was just coming from you. And it was clear right off the bat that you had a passion for food beyond just how well it tasted. And there was, you know, obviously lots of great tasting food, but this passion must be going back a while. And I feel like there's a story there. So I was wondering if you could start us off to like where this whole journey of food started with you. Um, yeah, so it's been quite a long journey for me, the food one. Uh, of course, it's transitioned in the last 10 years or so, but I think it started when I was uh, in the kitchen with my mother, maybe when I was really young, like in the high chair, watching <laughs> her cook the meals for the family and bake cakes and just, you know, be the center or like the heart of the house in a sense. And this really gave me a huge love for it. I think even from back then and always wanted to spend time in the kitchen. So I started kind of cooking and playing around with stuff at a young age, like eight, eight years old or so, and spent a lot of time absorbing and learning and eating, of course, all different types of food and watching a lot of shows about food and reading stuff about food and um, yeah, and of course, the biggest thing was just because, of course, I was a little bit, um, as you age, just kind of interesting because I was really young and I was loving food. And then when I got into the chef world and stuff like this, after a couple of years of working in kitchens and stuff, it kind of shifted into where we are now with more nutritional-based food. Mm. But um, yeah, in the past, it's kind of drawn me to all the good stuff, the naughty things, the things that we see as luxury and pleasant and um yeah, and that was not something that I saw in the future. It's kind of shifted. Uh, yeah, you, then, you actually, yeah. you grew up in, because people are probably now catching on that you and I sound slightly different. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, you so, actually uh, grew up in South Africa. Yeah, so I grew up in South Africa, Cape Town, uh, predominantly Cape Town, my whole, pretty much my whole life, about 25 years or so. And uh, yeah, I went to school there, went to all boys school. I played rugby as a kid. Um, yeah, and as a child, I was also quite overweight. So I was, I had like childhood type, not diabetes, uh, obesity in a sense when I was between the ages of like nine and 12. 
Mm. Um, and I did a lot of work on doing diets and medication and stuff to sort this all out, really. So this is when I think I got into understanding nutrition for the body a lot, even at such a young age, because mm -hmm. I was told to eat this and that, and you'll lose weight doing this, and you have to do your 30 minutes exercise, and you have to eat this small little bit of calories and blah, 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 and make sure you're balanced and things like this. Um, and yeah, and as living in South Africa, it's a very, uh, your common diet is pretty much the usual like meat, vegetables and potatoes, and you don't really fluctuate from that. So yeah, it was interesting. I was just very lucky to have a lot of um, influence from outside cultures and stuff to kind of give you an idea of different ways to eat and how to eat to find a balanced diet, you know, which was, I'm very lucky for. So when you say outside influence too, because you eventually started learning things like Ayurvedic practices uh, to an extent, like you started drawing on a few different modalities or, or mindsets as well. So what kind of, what kind of education did you find yourself drawn to when it came to wanting to expand your knowledge of cooking and food and nutrition? Mm, you know, um, the first, the nutrition part was something I was always interested in from when I did chef school. Just as I finished high school, I did two years of like French culinary school. So like traditional, mm -hmm. um, traditional cooking, really, you would see in like fine dining restaurants and things like this. Um, and then from their nutrition and just we were looking at the balance of food and plating and everything like this to kind of give a solid diet. And then when I, of course, a couple of years of working in industry, then I started seeing that it wasn't beneficial. I didn't care about it because it wasn't a sustainable way of eating in a sense, mm. whereas looking at uh, being plant based and things like it's a lot more regenerative and a lot more helpful on like the ecosystem in general. And then started doing a lot of diving into different types of styles of nutrition like Ayurveda which is like uh, healing through food and understanding your acidity levels and using certain herbs to balance your hormones and your emotions and especially like your different doshas and stuff like this I'm still learning a lot about these things especially it's forever a le mm -hmm. like learning with these kind of things it's like long long life kind of forever learning which is wonderful um, but yeah, and then lately I've got, also looked a lot into sports nutrition, uh, especially with an alternative diet, because this is where I found as people trying to optimally uh, use their bodies in a sense, training a lot and work like, right, like just burning the energy reserves a lot and you're trying to do it without the common food mm -hmm. is a bit tricky for a lot of people to wrap their head around, but it's very possible. And another thing was also sustainably like uh, for food security living on a plant-based diet in a lot of places is a lot more sustainable. Like a lot of people can get food more availably and also spend less money, especially if they're living in townships and things like this. Um, yeah. Food is a huge part of their, their money every week or every month. And the best way to like lower this is less in the meat and kind of the plant-based and nutritional is really important in like food security, especially in South Africa. There's such an issue with that around all the cities and stuff like this, you know? When it really starts to make it, and I, I know some people firsthand who have just said like it becomes overwhelming for them when they start thinking about needing to cook for themselves and all this kind of stuff. And and I saw a big flux in this when COVID hit. And, you know, uh, I, I don't know. So for people who are listening, Alex is actually located in, in sunny Costa Rica right now. And I'm kind of looking at him a little jealous. I see a little bit of sweat there and we're in winter in Canada. But uh, in COVID, when a lot of the restaurants were doing takeout only, and even then they were having a hard time trying to keep up with that, some people were being, I guess, for lack of a better term, forced to cook for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I know one friend of mine, he got pretty unhealthy. He got pretty unhealthy because he just, this was never something he did. He was always someone that was more just picking up takeaway on the way home from work or something like this. And now just having no idea of, what he should be putting in his body, how to put a recipe together, like what should even be in his pantry as far as like staples to have. And this is why I think, you know, we always make jokes about that phase in university or in college where you're first starting to learn to cook for yourself and you're eating all this Mr. Noodles and all this kind of stuff. But so many people don't grow out of that because they don't have the same uh, privilege of watching their parents, you know, maybe make all this stuff together and, and slowly start helping their parents in the kitchen and, and all this, and then throw in things like, okay, well, should I be focused 
on foods that are going to help me recover after injury? Should I be focused on foods for a sustainable planet? Should I be focused on food that's, we talked about diets to make our beards look shinier. And like, there's so many things that I think it's easy for people to get overwhelmed. So starting, uh, we'll, we'll kind of jump into it a little bit more, but as far as like people starting to build a connection with food and cooking and maybe building a pantry, like what would be some foundational advice for someone who wants to start exploring some of these culinary arts a little bit? Um, I think the first thing is my, my best advice for that is not to be afraid of the kitchen. I think a lot of people are afraid of it and making a mistake or worried that it won't taste good or like it's just about ex- experimenting and really being confident with that. But then to create these staples in your, um, in your pantry or anything, this is something I think comes with time. But if the, the simple things is just to go out and get, think of your favorite style, like basically like look at your favorite style of food or your, how you would like to eat. Like if you want to eat healthy, then you find one recipe and then you look at what the staples are in that recipe and you just have that on, on basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, or in your in your pantry or in your larder in your fridge or whatever you are looking at making um but it is very tricky it's super overwhelming especially if you're trying to look at like different diets and how to eat and my and fasting and when to eat and hourly and like how much of this and how little of that and all this kind of thing of course all the other things like healing keeping your ph balance up all this kind of stuff and your gut biome it gets very very tricky mm-hmm. and it's just starting very slowly I feel. And the best thing for, like, I would always say is you just get a spice box. Like you go to the store, you get six or seven spices you really like. You put that in a box and you just open them. You let them do their thing in there. And they'll even create their own spice after a while, which is wonderful. Mm. And you look at like, if you want to do plant-based diet, then go and buy your, like start being comfortable with your legumes and your lentils and your chickpeas and understand why you need to soak them. It's mm-hmm. simple things like this. You don't have to think of the huge world first before you, start so smallly with your couple meals a week. And it's so important to, like, it's so interesting, like you say, because of lockdown, everyone's kind of come to this place and not having that luxury of getting takeouts or anything and realizing that their food is, they're so disconnected from their food and how to cook and how to be part of, not that you have to be a great chef or anything, but you got to still be able to be in touch with your meals. I find this is so important and something that, like, as you mentioned, has been so disjointed from our, society and sense for ease and comfort mm-hmm. people saying they don't have enough time to make their meal you can always make your time you know and like this for me especially i find like it's so just energetically and psychologically to make time for a meal and really cook it yourself and eat it is so beneficial for so much like just understanding how your body feels about certain things you eat and also experiment with what you're eating to see what works best for you because some people can try uh, doing alternative diet, but it might not work for them. It really might not feel good. Uh, they might be sluggish. This always happens at the beginning. But, you know, after time, not everything is for everybody. So you just got to realize that just experiment. That's the big one. Mm-hmm. Just go in there, like think of something you like, go to the store, don't even look at a recipe. Go buy like five or six things that you, you like to eat and see if you can make something from it, you know? Of course, like look at the like the balance of the meal, whatever you want to make. But uh, yeah, I think that's the only the best advice you give. Yeah. yeah, I think that's like my favorite game in the in the uh, in the kitchen is open the fridge, see what's in there towards the end of the week when I haven't done shopping yet, and see if I can turn it into something. Yeah. <laughs> my wife looks at me and is like, "I'm not going to eat this. Like, you will eat it, and you'll be surprised at how good it is." And oh, yeah. more sure. often than not, she'll even tell you more often than not, they may not look great, but generally tastes pretty good. Um, so it looks yeah. not important, huh? Looks aren't important, I tell you. Even when I was studying, like there was a chef that came to, 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 like he was a very prominent chef and he came to test one of our exams, like our cooking exams. Mm-hmm. And he ate many of the dishes and they're all beautiful, like very perfect and like little dollops of this and that and like 20 components. But he said, none of these taste like anything. doesn't matter if it looks good. You know, you got, it's kind of, it's a difficult part of looking good doesn't matter. It's about what it tastes like the, because when you're cooking, it's also a part of you, you know, it's a big thing, like a big saying that a lot of the old chefs say, like Pierre Garnier and some of these guys they say, if you're eating a chef's meal, you're eating a part of him because mm-hmm. it's his 
or anyone cooking really, if you're eating a part of what he's giving to you because you're, of course, imparting energy or however, that's how they, they don't see it that way, but it's just because it's their personality coming out and what they're feeding you, you know? Well, I think one of the interesting things that you said too about people saying they don't have time to cook and, and stuff like this, I hear it as like someone who's a yoga teacher, meditation teacher. I hear it all the time, people saying, oh, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for self-care. I don't have time for this, that, and the other thing. And yet there's so many things with the right intention in our days that can become our meditative practice, our mm -hmm. self-care practice. And I think cooking and eating, because I, I, you know, I think you, you can't separate the two necessarily. Like I think even, you can correct me here, but even as a, a chef where you know, other people are going to be eating what you cook, you have to still be in that mindset of like the eating experience. You need to think mm -hmm. of the end game for this. But that can be such a process. I had one client, she said, oh yeah, you know, cooking is my my happy place. And she's a paralegal. She has a very busy life. And she says, cooking is my happy place. And I said, cool, tell me what this cooking experience is like for you. And she's like, well, I put Netflix on and I have that going in the background. And then oftentimes I'll have my phone kind of like propped up here in front of me. And I have my recipe book here and I'm doing all this kind of stuff. Like, are you even in with the cooking? Like what's kind of like, we talk a little bit about that. And she was like, oh, you're right. So I guess if I'm being mindful, I should turn off everything and just focus only on the cooking. And I was like, well, how about let's make an experience around the cooking? You want to put some like nice music on, mm. sure, go for it. Like make it something that you can look forward to where it's your time. It's your time to be creative, to let this stuff come out where you're smelling the smells that you're creating and these new smells by combining flavors and everything. But if we're so caught up in our head, so caught up in what's happening tomorrow or what happened yesterday that we're not actually in it, then yeah, it just feels like work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Definitely feels for you as a chef, it, it might be work, but I think we can enjoy our work too, right? No, of course you can. I think that's the, when you got it all sorted out when you enjoy your work, you know? I feel like that's what you're so right, what you say is just to really be with that moment and just being with the food in general, like and just slowing down, taking mm -hmm. just taking your time. And this has been a huge like change in my life. It's just that internal space of just slowing down, like not rushing, like, there's no need to. So even if you don't have the time or don't have the time, this is normally you putting that pressure on yourself. So mm. it's good to just sit with the food and really be with it because it's so part, oh, it's part of everything really in my, in my real true feeling about how food plays such an integral role to every part of you. So just slowing down and really being with it and turning off the distractions and the phone. And it's different if you're like reading recipes and stuff like that. But if you're trying to absorb all these informational cues coming from external things rather than just being there with the thing that's going to nourish you mm -hmm. deeply and like it nourishes your body. It allows you to be that person the next day. It's good to just take the time with it. I know it's tricky for some because there is life is busy and sometimes things get, to, and it seems like food and feeding yourself properly is the first thing that goes. Mm -hmm. People will first exercise and they'll make sure they get this, their couple of minutes on their phone. They'll make sure they get everything else. But as soon as like food is the first thing, because we have restaurants and takeaways, it becomes something that falls away so easily. Mm -hmm. And this is why people feel so daunted by it. And then because they've been living that way this for so long, not relying on their own kitchen in their house and really like finding the freedom in their own house or their own like journey and food to find what's optimal for them. And they can feel so much better. Because someone who's doing all these practices and you're not connecting with the thing that's giving you the most nourishment, it's kind of devoid all these other things in a sense. And, you know, like, I, I'm always fascinated devoid. by the things that we have developed into as homo sapiens that is so against kind of like the, the law of nature, if we want to call it that. And you look at all other species on this planet and the number one focus is food. The number one focus of all other species on the planet is food and reproduction. That's like, that's what it comes down to nourish yourself enough so that you can reproduce and so on and so forth. Yeah. And yet, even as homo sapiens looking at the way that we, we migrated, the reason why we are living all around the world 
is most likely because we were following food and we were, you know, food was story time. It was knowledge that was passed down. There was myth, there was legends that was created around um, all these different aspects of hunting and gathering and when to do what, at what time of the year. Um, my wife and I spent time in Australia and we got to know some of the folklore is around like, oh, you don't, you don't pluck the cheeky yams out of the ground at the wrong time of the year because the Mimi spirits will come and get you and like all this kind of stuff. And it was so much around food. And this is where we're so, we're such an interesting specimen or species when we, when we kind of examine ourselves because you can't eat ones and zeros when, when if push comes to shove, what we typically see is like our, our finances or ones and zeros in our bank accounts and stuff. You, you can't eat that. It is, it is fake. It is real because we believe in it. It's like we give it power because we believe in it, but push comes to shove, like food is the essence of life. And to talk on that piece that you said where people can't find time, I look at clients that I talk to now who are no longer commuting. So you think about some of these people that would have an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening that normally they'd be sitting in a car and now they don't have that, but they don't see it in terms of I've gained two hours for myself or I've gained two hours in the day. They think of all the things that they still can't fit in that day. Mm. That's, That's good true. Just gained. Make yeah, it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of minutes. That a lot of you minutes. You can cook a lot of meals in that. Time. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's also so It's also just the time thing. People feel. I feel like a lot of the time people think, even in general, food is cooking for yourself. It's seen as something that takes a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this preconception of like it can be very quick, depending, of course, what you're making. But it can be 15 minutes if you want. Or 10 minutes mm-hmm. depends if you just want to make some salad and something it can be very quick and easy um but it's always seen as this lengthy process mm-hmm. and you know, you're so right so many people have so much extra time now because they're mostly at home and then they just can't find they still can't feed themselves it's really interesting because it's not a priority in a sense mm-hmm. yeah and this is what i feel needs to change and this will it is changing, of course, because of the people had the time now to really look and reflect more on their lives and what they should spend, need to spend more time on. But in general, if this happens in society, then everything will become better and they will take more care into making sure it's altern- like uh, positive ways of getting produce and mm-hmm. supermarkets will be more clear, like friendly towards these, these people looking for these items, you know, organic and a permaculture grown and regenerative agriculture, all these things will get a lot more emphasis that people take more focus on what they want to eat and how they want to eat it and where it comes from, which of course is a huge movement at the moment, huge mm-hmm. world around, like around everywhere, really. It's a huge movement. But if it comes even more from the commonplace, more than a place of privilege, a lot of this stuff, of course, is expensive and people see these things as something unreachable because they don't have the finances for it or mm-hmm. doesn't fit in the budget or anything like this. This is a shift that is hopefully occurring because it actually is very affordable to live um, on healthy organic produce. It is just, of course, depends where you are and things like this. But you don't have to think of it always needing the luxuries, I feel, you know. It's also media paints a huge picture of what your home meal should be like Mm -hmm. and things like this, you know, rather than just being happy with your simple like lentils and celery and a nice salad and maybe a piece of fish you know or not even fish some eggs or some cheese or whatever protein even some beef whatever you want to do you know so yeah yeah and i think you know that piece that you said about getting connected to your food again i was volunteering at a camp and we part of what we would do is we would take the kids uh, this was a like overnight too long or two weeks long we would take the kids to a farm so that they can actually see some animals they can see vegetables they can pull a carrot out of the ground themselves and like this kind of thing and i remember one of the kids looking at an apple tree and saying like oh are these like the same apples that grow in the grocery store and it was like there was a genuine disconnect between the fact that apples grow on trees and not knowing that and never having Mm. that experience I, i grew up in the country that was such a big piece of of growing up as like, oh yeah, there's apples and all this. And I jumped myself in a big way into wild edibles at uh, in my 20s and wanting to just see, like I got certified in permaculture at that around that same time and wanting to see nature as a grocery store. And I remember there was a documentary, I think it was called How 
Cuba survived peak oil because during the Cuban Missile Crisis, Cuba ended up getting cut off from its supply of oil and all this kind of stuff. And agriculture itself had to just change drastically. And like 80% of Havana, which is a pretty like densely populated area, they were growing their food, 80% of their food in like their own balcony gardens and mm. putting gardens on like we we look at we look at lawns we look at all the grass space that's out there that we could be growing on and you know this kind of experience and they made it work push comes to shove they had to feed themselves and they learned how but it was simpler like oh. you say it was simpler and i remember when we were at the retreat you did a little workshop for our our group of people that we had there and one of the things that you talked about was how we can simplify and not just can simplify for the benefit of our brain that can't comprehend complex recipes and stuff, but that there is actually some benefits in it for our, our body as well. I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. It's, it comes to that reason pretty much bringing up the people in Havana growing their own food is they're only growing stuff seasonally. And mm -hmm. this is where our diet is predominantly originally based from is seasonal produce. And this is very simple, you know, in winter, said vegetables are ready. In summer, this time, spring, autumn, these things are already at a certain time for a certain reason. So it's good to, this is where the idea of simplifying the diet, especially on the daily basis, um, is so beneficial just because, of course, if you look to eat seasonally, your body gets what nature wants you to have at that point. The reason why oranges are ready in autumn time is because you need the vitamin c for the winter and the reason why avocados are ready for winter is because you need the fat for the winter time and mm. it's not supposed to be in summer and stuff like this you know but of course you've created this year-round cycle of import and export food all over that's why we can have these complicated complicated diets and like a kid thinking an apple comes from the store you know this is a huge issue for me because like you growing up in the country you know like and my huge belief is in the past when we lived in a tribal system or in small um, agriculture was a huge part of what people did. Most of the people in the village would be farmers mm -hmm. and the kids first thing they would do and they would spend time with the elders in the fields would learn how to plant a seed and understand this seed is said food. And we've kind of gone away from that and to find simplicity in our diet, like is so key because our gut biome, of course it has a, millions of variances of, biology happening in there for us to be able to digest and absorb nutrients and release hormones and keep balanced and keep even emotionally happy. All these things kind of link to the gut. Mm -hmm. um, the, you know, it depicts your insulin levels and pretty promptly all your hormones that are getting released are depicted by your gut biome in a sense. So if you're eating more simply, your body can kind of adapt and understand what you need to eat in a sense. Like you don't have to be super simple, but it's good to not have too much variety on a plate of food because your digestive system can be very confused. And especially if you're eating certain things together, it's not beneficial because it's starting recognizing some things as the water content and the starch content and the protein content, and it can't digest them all at once. It needs to compartmentalize them to be able to absorb them. And this causes more strain on the system and on the body in a sense as well, like if you go eat a great Chinese meal, it's like all over the place, but you feel super sluggish and tired because your body's trying to figure out, okay, can I digest that? And then that, okay, then maybe that next. But if you eat something more gently on the system, it will always allow you to be more energetic and light, like mm -hmm. after your meal, which is what you want. You want it to give you energy, not slow you down. Yeah, and especially when you're talking about like a westernized Chinese meal where you can find uh, still like hot dogs and hamburgers in the corner there yeah. and then your chow mein and your noodles and you know french fries and all this kind of stuff mm. yeah it's interesting because we think about we think about oh, we got to mix things up we think about you know okay well we had indian food last night let's have mexican food tonight and then we'll have you know ribs the next day or whatever and we think about always mixing it up but when you think about wanting to set your body up for this success the idea of keeping your body guessing isn't necessarily like, why do we want to trick ourselves? So there's actually some benefit to having that uh, regularity going on. So the body can actually adapt to it. It's, it's pretty incredible. Like I'm only scratching the surface. I was reading a book 
about things that you touched on with the 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 biome and the gut and like how the stomach is the second brain and it can't like i had no idea that it can actually influence our happiness our serotonin levels and like you said all these other hormones and everything stimulating and being triggered um, from the gut the communication originates from the gut and one of the one of the doctors in this um in this book i was i was reading said like i believe the future of all medicine is going to start looking a lot closer at gut health first. Mm, yeah, for sure. Even looking at like, it's so, it's so interesting because it's been such a, a long known thing because in the past, if you look at like, because of the gut biome is normally needs to be replenished, especially in a human being, because of course, when we eat, a lot of them die or depends on what you're eating, but a lot of it gets used up and stuff. So we have to replenish. And this is why we need ferments and a happy biology and happy soil and stuff. This is normally where we get it from the, you know, from all these bacteria we need in our gut biome. And it's so interesting you say that they've been doing super great studies with this with actually autism kids and uh, hyperactive children with um, implanting uh, gut biome from a, from a donor. And they've really seen the whole changes in how they're educating and how they're um, interacting with people, everything, just because they have more of a balanced system. Mm -hmm. And of course, as we have been the last century or so been fed um, mass produced things, they're like predominantly full of all the things that are quickly made, you know, I don't mm -hmm. even know the word for it, but um, these things are actually very detrimental to your gut health more than something that's natural because they actually strip away a lot of it, especially if you're looking at a, a, a package and it has more than like five to 10 ingredients, this is something that's not going to be beneficial for the long run because it will actually be, it's sort of like poisoning your gut. Mm -hmm. So you struggle later. And this is why you see all these issues coming up later, like candida and problem with gluten and even problem with digesting proteins, all this kind of stuff, because we've totally now malnourished our gut biome mm -hmm. to an extent where it needs a lot of repair. And this is where it stems into all these other health issues, you know, depression and unhappiness, laziness, anxiety, all these kind of things, you know? Yeah. But yeah, simplifying is key because you'll actually start a lot of the stuff you don't need. And it's also, um, I do feel we do maybe eat too many, too much of, of things a lot of the time. So the portions are too big. And this is a big, this is a big strain on the body. Because it doesn't need that much to really get what it needs from it, but it needs to work optimally. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't need these huge plates of food to get your nu nu nutrition. Even if you have goals, whatever you might do, like you want to make sure you're picking up weight, or you're super light, or you want to build muscle, you don't have to be eating three thousand something calories a day to get your goal. But as soon as, if your body's optimally getting everything you're eating, even if it's a low calorie, you will still find the goals you want or be a healthy person, in a sense. You know. Yeah, and I think that's that's a huge component when it comes to the way we feel also after we've eaten a meal. Like my wife and I, we, we're constantly comparing notes like, okay, do I want more or do I need more? Like that's the big question when it's like, do I go for a second helping? Do I want more or do I need more? And like my wife is a fantastic uh, cook. And so often I want more. And often if I don't catch myself, my plate is empty before I even had a chance to register how good it is, which is why I want more. And so one of the big practices that we've been trying in our household is just slowing, you know, we talked about slowing down the cooking process, slowing down the eating process. I had uh, one of the podcasts that we have on here was with um, a nutritionalist. And he talked about like one of the one of the best things you can do for yourself is take like three deep breaths. Just close your eyes, take three deep breaths before you start eating. And he was relating even to how stress affects the way that we're digesting and all this kind of stuff. So if we can, if we can kind of address all of these different things by slowing down, which means that we're going to chew more, which is going to be easier for our gut and stuff like that as well, that we're more aware of how much we're eating. So we're not overeating. We're putting less stress even mentally on ourselves just to like take a moment to breathe and be with our food so that our, our body's digesting with less strain and trying not to divert our energy in other places. Like it can be a whole process and without having to think about the math behind it, it's just slow down and enjoy your food a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. This is why it's so interesting she says that because that's kind of the place of what prayer would be is those three breaths. 
mm. before you eat or whatever ritual you might hold. Mm-hmm. So if it's just three breaths or you do 30 breaths or you do whatever, you do handstands or whatever you want to do. Yeah, <laughs> um, like just taking that moment and really, yeah, just settling down. It's so interesting that you said that because it's so right, especially the chewing and chewing slowly because this is our first line of defense, you know, first uh, our mandibles are the ones that do a lot of the hard work when it comes to digestion, actually. And we've kind of lost that because like you say, when it's tasty, you just want to get it down and get the next plate going, you know. Mm-hmm. But this might not be beneficial. Oh, it's kind of nutrition is such a, it's all comes in, even if you don't eat the great, like I was re- reading a whole article about this, like they did a study on people who chewed slower and chewed faster. And they, some people, the people who chewed fast, they got a very healthy diet and it was very nutritional balanced. And the people who ate slowly got like n- not as great, a lot of fast food and wasn't healthy and things like that. And then, and the people who, who were eating the, let me just try to remember how they were, right? The people who ate the, the fast food and stuff actually lost weight from eating slower than the people who sustained the weight they mm. were on eating the alternative diet because they were eating fast. So like she was saying, it's like a shock to the system. It's like this big rock in mm-hmm. your stomach and it's like can't digest it. So it's just like, okay, cool. This goes there, that goes there. Rather than really being in that cycle of finding a happy digestive space, you know, and getting like good cycle and, be able to have that uh, yeah, every day having a good movement and stuff like this, you know? Yeah, for sure. One of the other things that I, I really remembered from that um, kind of like workshop you did with us is you talked about even some of the order. Now, I don't want like people again to feel like eating is so regimented, but you talked about how even the order of what you eat can have some effect on how your body's able to go through it. And one of the pieces we talked about was like, if you're going to have a big kale salad, if you eat that first, that the other food that you put in top, like into your stomach afterwards is going to be like sitting on top of that. That was like a game changer because I always thought eat your salad first. That was like, this was like this order. So can you speak a little bit to that whole like order of food? Uh, Yeah, totally. Um, you know, this is a really interesting because this also was very new for me. I was it's only the last couple of years that I've kind of really started learning about this, but it's normally just in this, especially with something like salad or fruit, for instance, is a big one. Um, you kind of want to, especially we can go to salad is a good one because it's also the fiber content. We don't think, but lettuce and greens and stuff are actually some of the hardest things for our stomachs to digest because of their fiber content. So it's good to have that after your like after your cooked meal in a sense because your stomach is it kind of can sit on top and be digested when it's already quite soft in a sense when it's you know but something like how we mix it, it's very interesting because when we're eating like something that's we eating like a salsa or something like this tomatoes and maybe some fruit and stuff in there the, our bodies actually pick up the fruit as water because of course the fruit has pre-digested water and it's like H3O or something. And we pick that up as the first thing to digest. So your body will stop digesting everything else in your body, pretty much in your stomach and go for that. That's even if you eat it half an hour before. So this is why it's really good to keep these very separate fruit and cooked food. But Joe, also when you're eating and how you're eating is very important. Like what you said with the salad and stuff. That's why like in Europe, you normally have salad after the meal. It's something Mm -hmm. you eat at the end. It's like a palate cleanser. It's not what you lead the meal with. You normally start the meal with something like gentle, like a soup or warming. So like your digestive fire starts kicking in and then you start eating stuff that's a bit more difficult or a bit more trying for your body to digest, you know? You also mentioned the the fact of like using fruits as desserts and how like our metabolism is kind of like slowing down a little bit towards the evening and... Mm -hmm. And how things can start to go like rancid and stuff too. That was another one where it was like always like, yeah, okay, so I'm going to eat my salad first because that's what I was doing. And then I would put my pasta or whatever on top of my salad. And then, okay, time to bring out the big fruit platter that would go in the middle of the table. And then you'd be eating that. So even that piece around the fruit, like what what are we looking for there? What's the issue with eating our fruit for dessert? Uh, especially late at night, like we actually struggle with breaking down sugars in a sense, because mm. of course our metabolism slowed down and, and that's why it's really optimal to actually have your fruit in the morning before they say like one or two o'clock because at nighttime, 
as soon as the sun goes down and also because fruit of course with fructose is actually a stimulant it's mm. not something this is another reason why you shouldn't be eating at night because it's a stimulant and it's it affects the synapses pathways and stuff, I guess, with the fructose levels and stuff. I guess, so the struggles with actually affects your sleep cycle, but it depends. You can speak to a fruitarian and they might disagree with me, <laughs> but um, yeah, fruit is very difficult to not be eating in the evening at all. Of course, it depends what fruit it is though. If it's like a low sugar content fruit, then it's like, okay, but it's more stuff like watermelon and mango and even apples and things like this can spike your sugar levels late at night and this can create an unrest in your sleep cycle and also in your digestion because you're not releasing insulin because you've already gone the whole day releasing insulin for all the food and now you've got to try to put fruit in at the end of the day your body's sort of like tired you know mm -hmm. and this is actually over a long time why people in their in their older age because it's been happening a lot with actually a lot of our friends here they're in their 50s and 60s and been eating a very good diet and actually getting pre-diabetes because they can't release insulin anymore because it's been like worn out. And this is a lot to do with actually having too much fruit and too much fructose and too much sugar in the diet. Mm -hmm. Because of course you're always releasing insulin as a stimulant and your body gets tired after a time, you know? So it's good to kind of stay away. It's also mixing certain fruits is not good. Like you shouldn't really mix bananas and other fruit because banana is such a high sugar content. And also at night, like you said, actually ferments in your gut because you don't digest it mm. the next day. This is why you need the certain hours before you sleep. Because if you eat and go to sleep an hour later, your body is only actually digesting that when you wake up in the morning. Mm -hmm. Like in a sense, it does that, of course, digest a little bit while you're sleeping, but you kind of digestion stops when you sleep. And then it still goes a little bit. But then the next day when you wake up, you might feel tired because you had a heavy meal and you didn't digest. Now you've got to put all that energy into that again. And with fruit, it causes more issue because of course you have a spike of fructose or spike of insulin in your body. And this will create unrest in your system, you know, puts a lot of strain on you. And I yeah. follow like definitely just having those kind of things in the morning. So you have all day to process, process it, even though, I mean, not even sweet stuff has to be in the morning, just not too late at night, you know? So if I was going to like, you know, we hear, hear about midnight snacks and all that kind of stuff, or, you know, when I was uh, more active as a musician, you get home late from a gig, you didn't have a chance to eat and you got to put something in you before you go to sleep or something like that. Uh, what would I, what would be ideal? Probably just a smoothie, but not a sweet smoothie, like a green smoothie, something very soft mm -hmm. and gentle, mm -hmm. like nothing heavy because you don't want to try to digest at one in the morning, you know? I mean, right. even though we all done it, I mean, I've been there eating whole meals at three in the morning and then gone to sleep, you know, like we all have our moments and this is where we learn what's good and what's not great for us. But yeah, that's a true, like it's also, yeah, I would say just a smoothie or actually nothing at all. You just have to go to sleep. I mean, that's what I, like the last years since I've been following this kind of stuff, if I'm not, if I'm hungry and I've missed the meal, then I won't eat. I'll just go to sleep and wake up the next day and start the cycle rather than like creating that because you might have a bad night's sleep or depends you know and this all comes with time because of course we're not all as in touch with like putting something in our body reacting to our to it like instant not instantaneously but realizing that whatever we put in our body causes mm -hmm. this effect and i feel this way or my body feels like this or i'm sluggish we're not all connected like that but this takes time with of course approaching food in a conscious manner you know oh for sure Which is, yeah I remember after realizing that so much of my bloating and all that kind of stuff came from uh, a sensitivity to um, lactose, it became mm. like we, we traveled, my wife and I traveled the world as, as vegans and, you know, we're, we're recognizing that we're going in a different country, there's language barrier, there were going to be times where we probably had meat in our food or we probably had, you know, uh, ghee or something like that, but it would always be this thing like I would eat it. And I, it would be five minutes like, yep, that had milk in it. Totally had milk in it. Okay. So then I would have just apologize to Lauren because she would be the one that would be suffering just as much as me for the rest of the night. But it's true. You get to like your body and you can recognize, or at least for me, I was able to recognize the difference between like, okay, that's milk and the way that my body reacts to having milk versus um, something else that I was maybe having a bit of a sensitivity or a reaction to, or yeah, I can like almost categorize if I did a blind taste test of things, my body's not used to eating like, Oh yeah, 
that cramp in that part of, part of my gut feels like this. So that's probably X or yeah. something along those lines. It is interesting when you start listening to. Oh, big time. Especially like that, following a vegan diet means, especially vegan diets, what happens when you haven't had those kind of things in your diet for a long time, you actually lose the capability to digest them. Mm -hmm. Like you can't, like you have a sensitivity to lactose because you haven't had milk in like years. Yeah. You know, and now you have milk and now you, of course you're going to react because it's like this foreign entity coming into your body that you're not used to. Your body's not preempt for it. You didn't even psychologically, you didn't even mentally know it was in something. You know, it's like a mistake mm -hmm. on the, the cook side or the restaurant side. So it's tricky. For sure. And, you know, that was part of the that was part of the adventure of traveling the world vegan. Like we just kind of knew that that was going to happen at some point. It's not uh, easy though, brother. It's not easy traveling vegan. It's not even easy traveling vegetarian in a sense, you know? But that was like the big key for us was we were very seldom in cities. When we would land places, we would be in the city, yeah. But even like I remember going to Thailand and you'd be paying like 25 cents Canadian for a pad thai, like a street pad thai. And everything's right there in front of you. They have a big pan there. And as they're, so even if you, you know, don't know how to speak Thai, which we learned enough to be able to, you know, say what we want in our food, but you could still like, when you see them going to pick up something that looks like meat or pick up something that looks like milk, you just like wave and say, no, no. And generally most people understood that. And that was the mm -hmm. beautiful thing about traveling, especially the places that we traveled. Cause uh, for us, it was getting off the beaten trail going to smaller villages and stuff like that. And those people spent more time, like we talked about cooking the meals too. So you're watching, you're part of the process. And it was easy to say like, oh, actually no egg when they were about to like pick up the egg to crack it or, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. So ultimately wasn't super bad. Definitely had a few nights where, you know, had to stay pretty close to a toilet. But um, for the most part, it was it was a pretty good adventure. So that being said, now we've talked a lot about the process of food and all this different kind of stuff. Some of it does seem, you know, maybe overwhelming for people. But, you know, one of the things you and I talked about before getting on this call is a big thing to remember. You call it like the 80-20 the balance. But like there's going to be those times still that you're out celebrating or, you, you know, it's New Year's and it's midnight and somebody brings out something, you know, this kind of stuff. So, you know, even with your own diet, like where are your forgivenesses with that kind of stuff? What's this 80-20 thing you mentioned? Um, yeah, for me, for instance, the 80-20 works on because I like treats. So I like cookies and stuff like this. You know? <laughs> so like, I do like the odd ice cream, you know, I do like the odd, like the, all these things, of course, the naughty, lovely luxuries, you know, ideally I would, uh, make, I normally make all that stuff myself. I don't mm -hmm. like to buy it too much, but I do like a good treat. And it can be very naughty because that's allowed, you know, especially if you, <laughs> you just make sure for me, I try my best to make sure all my main meals of the day, anything I'm like truly nourishing myself with is a positive thing. It's not, mm. it's not something full of sugar or deep fried or it's just not, yeah, predominantly very healthy and very clean. Mm -hmm. I would clean. I would eat very clean most of my, actually all day predominantly and every day. And once in a while, it's allowed to just cheat. You know, you go to the shop and you're like, oh, you know, you crave a cookie. You know, you buy those cookies. It's okay. You know, we're only human. One, you're only human. You're allowed to enjoy these lovely treats. That's how I followed myself. And that's why I feel like people in general, for me, it's helped so much to be more relaxed on my diet. Mm -hmm. And also even stay on, I don't like to call it a diet, but the way, my way of eating, it keeps me easier to stay on that path of eating the way I do and keeping right. conscious with my decisions because I'm like, Oh, if I want to do this or maybe have a drink or, you know, have those couple of drinks on new year's Eve or even eat whatever you want and have a cheat day. All these things are so important. Not just, not all, not really physically, because of course it's not as that healthy, but mentally it's very important. Oh well, yeah. If you're someone. guilting yourself, yeah. so you're going to eat it anyway, because we're human. So you're going to yeah. have that cookie. So yeah, even yeah. if we want to call that like a, a quote unquote negative, but if you're meeting that with like, you know what, today I'm going to have that cookie. I feel yeah. good. You know, I think I deserve this. Then at least you're also getting endorphins from that positive attitude and everything. Yeah. But if you eat that cookie, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm the worst person because I'm mm -hmm. eating this cookie and everything. Now you're compounding that like negativity 
and adding stress. And as we talked about, stress affects the way that you digest and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And this is a downwards, downwards pile. Yeah. And shame. We don't need more shame in our lives, especially from ourselves in a sense, you know? Society does it enough with the uh, expectations and preconditioning pre it has on a lot of us to us shame ourselves subconsciously. So it's good for whatever you can control, especially your diet, is to be free and open mm-hmm. as you want, you know? And even if you don't follow some, no matter what um, way of eating you, you have chosen, if, you, if you're feeling like you're following something for a certain time, if you're detoxing, if you're doing fasts, like it's okay to understand that you're allowed to, you know, just have those things that are seen as you, like good or bad for you, you know? Because of course, the positive re- reinforcement is so much better. Because, yeah, you're going to have that cookie today, but then you realize, like, for the last four days, you've just been eating super clean and you're doing some breathing and you're walking and, you know, you're just in touch with yourself a little bit and making more time for people around you. Mm-hmm. It's okay. It's not like it's going to be detrimental to anything mm-hmm. if you take that step and, like, eat that whole chocolate bar in bed at night, you know? Like, it's all good. <laughs> the body's pretty remarkable. Ultimately, yeah. the body's yeah. pretty remarkable. We're talking about the things that accumulate over the many, 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 many days of life that hopefully we all get to live. But it's so funny. So, you know, we own a wellness center and my wife and I are both yoga teachers and we run these retreats. And and then from time to time, we'll we'll get together even outside of the studio with some of our, our students or something before COVID and all this. And then we would order a drink. I would order like my, my drink, if I'm going to drink, is going to be like a gin and tonic. And I would, or a gin and soda, sorry. So I'd order my gin and soda and you'd see people just like staring and their jaws would drop a little bit like, you, you drink alcohol? (laughs) Yeah, sometimes. Like we maybe have like a drink a month, maybe like one drink or my wife and I'll share a drink once a month or something. But there's this mentality of like, well, if you've taken this life or you, you've decided to go down this life of like consciousness and cleanliness and all this kind of stuff that you can't indulge you can't you know and yet from the the monks that i have had the privilege of knowing working with talking to there's never been any of this feeling of shame you know all these people who are really living these like clean lifestyles like okay go for it and you know and yet it's the shame we create we create or or marketing all this kind of stuff puts shame on us because you know, that's how marketing works. Marketing is designed to make you feel like what you're doing is not good enough. That's why you need to buy the next best thing or endorse the next best thing and all this kind of stuff. But it's it's a vicious cycle. Oh, yeah, for sure. And follow everyone else's footsteps and stuff. Make sure. It's so true what you say. Just people really give you a funny look, you know. It's like, I was, as you said, that a friend of mine, uh, she, she actually just did a podcast. Was it yesterday? And I was listening and she was talking about similar thing, but more about... Uh, just how people perceive people, you know, mm. but it's about when you're having that drink, it's because you don't have a problem with it. It's not like you're mm-hmm. overdoing it. You have your one drink, you enjoy even maybe two drinks, but you mm. don't go far. You don't get drunk. You don't black out. You don't do any mm. of this anymore. It's not really an issue. You don't even think about it most of the mm. time. And even though you're in the space of spirituality and diving into the self and doing meditation and yoga and stuff like that, it's okay to use these things for what they're meant for, you know, like, loosen you up a little bit, you know, maybe have a little bit of good time. Like this can't be something we can be shameful of when you're trying to be clean mm-hmm. because isn't being happy and laughing the main part of like creating a happy life, a long right. life. And what are we living for? That requires like a beer and some gin and soda, not because <laughs> you need to laugh because you have the gin and soda, but you know, you're celebrating with a bunch of homies. It's important to be part of like that camaraderie. So important. I find there's a, not there's overdoing a- it. Well, that's the thing. Moderation, however you want to call it. There's a koan that I like, a, a Zen story that really stuck with me when I read it. And it talks about, uh, I got to remember their names. Well, it's not super important, but it was Tatsu and Dayato. So Tatsu and Dayato were walking back from the village towards the monastery and they came around a bend in the road. And as they did, they saw this woman there and she was trying to cross the street, but it was all muddy and she was in her finest clothing. And so Tatsu walked over to her and offered and carried her across the road and, and, and helped her onto the other side. And the whole rest of the way towards the monastery, Dayato is just like, he looked perplexed. He's looking at Tatsu and he's shaking his head. And so finally Tatsu stopped and he said, Dayato, what is wrong? And Dayato said, we are 
we are swamis, we are celibate monks, we do not pick up women and carry them across the road and we don't do this kind of stuff. And um, Tatsu turned to Daito and he says, I carried that woman for all of two seconds across the road. You've been carrying her ever since we left that corner. And it's talking about like that guilt, that shame, that all that stuff that he's creating is way heavier than the two seconds that Tatsu lifted her up, put her on the other side and then let it go. Didn't dwell on what he had done. Didn't, you know, fixate on it or anything like that. Wasn't attached to it. And yet that's what we, we tend to do. We attach to things and we get fixated. We use them for crutches or we create stories around them of who we are and what we do and all this kind of stuff. If we can be light, if we can have fun with what we do, if we can see what we do as being a tool or just a, a means to a good time or happiness, whatever, go for it. Mm. You know, it's a non-attachment, which is key. Yes. Especially on ideology or whatever you're trying to attach to, it's really important, even to your self-image. Mm -hmm. Just be able to take ourselves and everything a little bit more relaxed, I find. Especially like this is a big, like that's a great thing because yes, we do hold on to those our subconscious thoughts of like something happened that we don't agree with. Something like uh, Tatsu was totally fine with everything, but and I forget his name already. But we as people do this all the time, as you say. And then oh no, I see now I lost my track of thought. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> it's because you're not holding on to it. You yeah. weren't attached to that thought. <laughs> yeah, but it's true. It's like. You know, we, we talk about there's the second arrow proverb in Buddhism, and we talk about all of these different aspects of of guilt. And we always look for new ways to guilt ourselves. Like I mm. I teach people meditation, and then if they don't fit into meditation that day, they feel guilty that they didn't get into meditation. And they don't understand yep. that that's like counter to what the idea of the meditation is about. And it's just mm. the the thinker is very sneaky. The thinker is very sneaky and it's always looking for ways to manipulate and to take you out of the now. And if we oh, can God. find things, if we can find tools, whether it be our breath, our food, whether we're cooking it or eating it or planting it or harvesting it or any of this kind of stuff, if we can find ways to be in the now, then that's in my mind, the way that we kind of like win one over that thinker. Like, oh, yeah. ah, here we are. I'm here, you're over there, you may be entangling whatever you want, but I'm right here right now and yeah. I'm happy. Yeah, for sure. Overthinking and it lends to just a little bit of over happiness and also not, you maybe think too much and not act enough in a sense. I think it's happened mm -hmm. with a lot of people and they feel stuck in a sense because they're thinking about doing stuff or starting something or doing something, but they never get there because they're thinking about it all the time. And now just being in the now and just acting on a feeling or a thought is way more productive in a sense for long-term mm -hmm. a balance you know so looking at the time that we're at because we're kind of getting to that point uh we didn't get too much into your journey of even how you got from like south africa and studying you know uh french cuisine and then ending up in uh cooking for retreats in costa rica and all this kind of stuff but you even have some other stuff on the go you have your instagram channel which i uh what's your what's your handle on instagram uh, it's Alex Skeet. Yeah. And Alex so that's going to be in the title of this. Uh, yeah. so you can find it there. And also I have a bakery page called One Slice Bakes. And that's my small business that I do here. Yeah. And there was even something that I, I really like that you were doing. I don't know if you're still doing it, but you would do just like some live videos of you cooking some super like simple recipes. I don't know if you're still doing that anymore, but there's ways to Unfortunately, connect. I'm not. Yeah, there's a hundred ways to connect. Unfortunately, I'm not doing the, it was actually called Alibaba's flying carpet. Um, <laughs> but Why not? So yeah, that's actually going to come back. Keep I just because um, in I was really enjoying doing it, but I wasn't feeling like the space was lending to be able to mm. be, I don't know, I just would like it to be in a certain space, like um, quality in a sense. And I felt right. like I couldn't achieve that where I am at the moment and the way I'm living and stuff like that just for the time being. But it is something I would like to start again. And also, of course, I've got a website and I've got cookbooks on there too. Oh, what's yeah. your website? It's also Alex Skeet at Wix, but I'll send you the link because I don't have a, a .com just yet. Gotcha. So lots of exciting things um, in the works for you. So definitely we'll keep an eye out for Alex's cuisines and cookbooks and all that kind of stuff because I can vouch for firsthand. 
Uh, the food is absolutely amazing. But thank you so much, Alex, for uh, taking this time to chat with me. And uh, yeah, hopefully people listening uh, have a few takeaways there. Maybe it puts more questions in their mind, but maybe answers some others. But it's always a pleasure when uh, when I get to sit and chat with like-minded people. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me, bro. It was such a treat chatting and conversating about all the good stuff. And of course, anyone, of course, if anyone has uh, questions or anything, they can always contact me and we can chat further, whatever they would like to know. But yeah, I'm always open, which is cool. And thank you so much for having me, bro. We really, my really pleasure. enjoyed. Yeah, I, I like so to much. share a, lot of, a little bit about my stuff. <laughs> awesome. We'll catch you soon. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Higher Potential Living Podcast. If you would like to learn more about Higher Potential Living and the services we offer, please visit www.higherpotentialliving.com. We offer different online courses, in-person courses, mindfulness and meditation retreats, and we have a variety of different coaches that are there to help you with anything that you might be going through. So please check us out. You can also help support the work we do by subscribing to this podcast anywhere you're listening and of course, sharing it and telling your friends all about it. Thank you so much and have a great day.